Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I was born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala City. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee camp. I was camp. born in Mumbai. India. I was born in Vientiane. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Hear, bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today, we hear the voice of Denzel Mendoza, an award-winning and undocumented trombone player whose commitment to music took him to the streets of New York and eventually to the Grammys. Salazar. It was 2019, and Denzel Mendoza was sitting in Staples Center in Los Angeles, surrounded by the most talented musicians in the industry. At the Grammys that year, Alicia Keys was hosting, Kendrick Lamar led the nominations, and Michelle Obama surprised everyone with an unexpected appearance. And there, taking it all in with his fellow musicians, was Mendoza, a jazz trombonist. Everyone sitting with him was a dreamer a person who had been brought to the United States as a child without any official immigration documents. And that night, their album, called American Dreamers, Voices of Hope, Music of Freedom, was nominated for Best Large Jazz Ensemble Album. Mendoza had spent his whole life playing jazz, chasing the impossibility of a music career as an undocumented immigrant. And now here he was, at the Grammys, up for one of the most prestigious music awards one could receive as a musician. It was a big moment for him. Living a life where, as an immigrant, let alone like an undocumented immigrant, knowing that like you're not able to achieve anything or be successful, here I am with 10 more dreamers winning, winning Grammys, you know, just sharing our story. To really appreciate what this moment meant to Mendoza, we had to go back. Back before his Grammy win, before he found the trombone, back to when he was a Filipino kid in Singapore who didn't care too much to be a musician. Back then, all he wanted to be was just like his dad, an architect, who had just gotten a new job in the United States. I was f- five years old when I moved to the U.S., and I, I can't tell you how I felt, honestly. It was... I just knew, I just remember there was a sudden change, almost immediately. I just spoke to my mom maybe a month ago about the moving from Singapore to the States, and she just remembered you cried every single day. I would say, like, I want to go home, I want to go home. And it's just, it's wild to me, because I, I just don't remember that, that change at all. I just remember being in Singapore and then not being in Singapore. There was a an architecture firm in Seattle, Washington, that wanted him specifically. So that firm paid for the move. The, they paid for, our, I believe, our first few months for the apartment in, in Seattle. And yeah, that's, they, they brought us all because of my, my father. I, I remember early mornings of like the smell of coffee and the rustling of papers. I wanted to become an architect as well. I started doing illustrations on my own. I started, like, using his tracer paper and, like, started copying his designs. Mm-hmm. He was doing very well. He was a, 
a master consultant for architects. You know, he was the one leading the plans and he had the big blueprint and all that. And yeah, he honestly inspired me for a very long time. But that kind of left when he eventually left. Another architecture firm wanted him in Las Vegas, and they paid him more. So they paid us to go move to Las Vegas, and this is the date, March 16th, 2006. I was one of the three or four, I believe, uh, elementary school students in the music program to be chosen to do this entire Las Vegas school district orchestral performance. It was called the Orf Festival. I was very proud to do it, and I had like 30 of my family members from Nevada and California and Arizona to come and watch me, but there was one missing seat, and it was my father. And after that, we went back to our apartment and all of his stuff was gone. And that was it. That was like the sudden shift of our lives as immigrants under our father's work visa to nothing. Complete nothing. And that was also the shift from me wanting to become an architect to something else. My dreams of becoming an architect went with him when he left. And get this, he took my mother and my sisters and my passport with him so we wouldn't follow him back to Singapore. So he took us to the country and then he left us in this country, he trapped us in this country so we wouldn't follow him. And this was two months before, as a family, we would have permanent residency. It would have been impossible for her to just get up and leave. We had no money to just buy tickets back to Singapore. And I don't know if we could have without our passports. But we also had started a life in Las Vegas. We were in Las Vegas for, I think, five years by then. So that was five years of schooling, five years of of making friends with neighbors and family friends. And we couldn't have just let that go. Yeah, my mother didn't want to leave that. And I am proud that... She didn't. In middle school, a time when almost everyone is floundering in identity issues, even without a missing dad or a missing passport, Mendoza needed a way to define himself. So he threw himself into music. He joined the school band and asked his mom for an instrument. So my mom bought me a trumpet at the pawn shop, I picked up the trumpet, I played around with it, and I uh, brought it to the first day of band in sixth grade. And the band director at the time was like, no, you're not going to play trumpet. Your lips are too big. You're going to play You're gonna play trombone, which was silly because it doesn't matter how big your lips are. There was just too many trumpet players already playing in the band. So I picked up the trombone. Yeah, there'll be an excuse, which was great because now I love this instrument. It's who I am now. Freshman year of high school, that was the first time I ever flew a plane Mm -hmm. that wasn't from Singapore to Seattle. I took a trip because my uh, high school jazz band, we took a trip from Las Vegas to New York City, and I was able to listen to jazz, real jazz, go to Birdland. We played a show at Birdland 
we were able to take a tour at the Manhattan School of Music and see that, oh, it's possible to actually have a life in music. And, you know, at that point, I was fully invested in my trombone and music mm -hmm. and all that. And right then and there, that trip made me realize this is what I wanted to do in life. And I made it a goal of mine from freshman year of high school to senior year. I did all of the musical programs in my high school from choir to orchestra to playing in the theater band. When it comes to my music, the, the voice that's in my head coming out through the horn, that's years and years of that, that conflict of identity coming out. And there isn't a direct answer or a direct, like, statement or phrase or thought it's just the chaos it's the chaos that is happening in that space and i can talk about it but i will you know ball and tear but when i'm playing it's heat it's heat it's energy it's force mendoza had found something he loved but he didn't know how to build on it before 2012 dreamers like him people who had been brought to the united states as children didn't have social security numbers. They couldn't get a driver's license, couldn't get jobs, build credit, or get financial aid for college. With all of this stacked against him, Mendoza couldn't see what the future would look like. There wasn't an outline, because to me, there was no possibility of an outline. There was no real way of me getting a job or a real way of going to college. I was an undocumented immigrant. So for me, it was just like, okay, just fake yourself through high school. Just pretend. I didn't want to stand out. I, I mean, I didn't want to be different. So I'm not going to learn my mother's tongue. I'm only going to learn English and be just like you as much as I can. And I struggle with this most of the time. I don't know whether I'm Filipino or American. I'm, I'm neither. I, I didn't want to show the world that I am lesser, quote unquote, lesser than you because I am not a citizen. So I had to basically... I. I was able to fit into a lot of different cliques in high school, which it made me feel good because it made me feel like I was finally a part of something. Because during that time, I knew that I was undocumented and I knew that I wasn't welcome here at all. And, you know, socioeconomically, we had no money. And in the neighborhood that we were living in, most of the people, most of my colleagues, my classmates were middle class, upper middle class, and they were able to have these nice things. And I'm just wondering, like, I will never have those nice things. And to me to even think about college was just a complete pipe dream. Thinking about an outline past high school, there was none until 2013, until DACA, <laughs> until DACA changed my life completely. Just 180. In 2012, President Obama signed DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Dreamers like Mendoza could push back any actions immigration would take against them with a renewable two-year deferral. They could also get permission to work. Then suddenly, instead of hiding, DACA recipients could drive, get bank accounts, pay taxes, and go to school. Senior year of high school, I found out about DACA. You know, 2012 was when DACA started, so the timing was just perfect. At that moment, I'm like thinking to myself, whoa, the stars are really aligning right now because I was went to New York and auditioned for the new school and I, and I got in with a nice scholarship. 
Mendoza moved in with his uncle, a poet in New York. It wasn't a permanent situation, but he could surround himself with music and writing as he attended the new school, a four-year private college. Even with a scholarship, the cost of living in the city was high, but Mendoza was finally chasing his dream. New York, that was just the beginning of truly understanding like arts and culture. The program was an international program, so I had a incredibly diverse... All my contemporaries were just from everywhere. And yeah, the, the program there was great. I, I learned so much about music, but I learned so much more about life and communication with people and delivering who I am and receiving who people are more than actually learning about music. It was this incredible like social lift for me. I was there for one semester and I was really upset about it. I couldn't afford it. My dad, I was in communication with him. He told me he was going to send me money the moment I moved to New York just so I could like have a head start. But the moment I did move to New York, I didn't hear from him for months and he never helped me out. So it was just like, good luck to, to myself. There's nothing. It was either go back home to Las Vegas and just be ashamed of yourself because you've put in years of work to make it to that place and to that level. But now after a few months, you're going back home. I didn't want to do that. Instead, I stayed and I got a job. I got my first legal job, which was I was a barista at a coffee shop. So I moved out of um, my uncle's house and I got myself my own apartment with, of course, roommates. And I wasn't on the lease. I had no ability of do. I had no rental history, any of that. So I stayed in that apartment and then I got myself gigs. I got myself gigs. I still had the connections and the friendships that I made during the first semester. And I played gigs and I did rehearsals regularly. And it was incredibly fulfilling. I felt at that moment, I'm like, wow, I am truly living the life that I wanted to be. But it is not easy at all. Of course, I get kicked out because someone else who does have the ability to sign on to the lease gets in. And none of the roommates knew, but he was a wanted criminal he stole my laptop, he stole a lot of my money and some clothes, and yeah, I not, was, not only was I homeless at that time, but I was also like, really, just, I had no money. Nothing, nothing. for me, but especially for my mother. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone to church that much ever in my life. It was like every day I had my backpack with the clothes that I wear for work. 
and my trombone, and I would just walk on each end of Manhattan, just consistently just walking and walking. There were nights where I would just find a bench at a park and just like lay down but wouldn't fall asleep and just try to relax. There would be moments where I would just like hang out at a diner for hours and drink the same cup of coffee to charge my phone. Growing up, I went to church almost every Sunday, but I never took it seriously until I left Las Vegas, until I was alone. It, it was the church in between 1st and 2nd Avenue on 14th Street. It was this uh, Catholic church. They did a Filipino mass, a Vietnamese mass, Spanish mass, and an English mass. But it was a beautiful space. It was the classic old-school Catholic church tucked in between a McDonald's and an apartment building. It had the two different rows. It was tall, very gothic, huge, huge um, stained glass windows, and a whole bunch of Filipinos. A lot of Filipinos, a lot of nanais, which are like the grandmothers in the Philippines, and it felt like home. felt like I could talk to these people and be okay. I went there almost every day just to seek refuge, just to sit down and relax and pray. You know, I'm thankful that I'm here still. And just give me the strength to power on and continue this. I was incredibly depressed during that time. You know, I felt like a failure. And to me, thinking like, here I am, this undocumented immigrant, thinking that I could pursue a career in music where I should have just been in the military or pursued something better, like, you know, become a doctor or a nurse. I, I felt ashamed and I felt guilty that I was doing this. I was always listening to music. I had my iPod classic. I listened to Philip Glass's Metamorphosis almost on repeat every day because that brought me a lot of peace. I wouldn't look anybody in the eye at all when I would listen to that album. I would just look up and I would see electrical lines and pigeons and skyscrapers and clouds and I would never look down mm. <laughs> when I was listening to that album because during those moments I actually felt at peace and I, I realized like all the stuff that's happening to me right now, you're homeless, you're depressed, you're not going to make it it made me realize that tomorrow the sun's going to shine. You're going to see tomorrow. Don't worry. I've always been hopeful. My mom, she taught me that. She always said, you could do this. She always said, pray. And she always said, don't forget where you come from. You know, and that was like, to me, like hardworking people. Because she, single mom with no money, raising us, me and my sister, you know, like, I looked up to her, and it's just like, if I am going to go down here, I'm going to let her down. So I have to keep on going. I can do this. She, she told me, Denzel, please come home. The music is at home. And, you know, it's not until a few years ago where I realized, like, wow, the music is at home. The music is my mother. Her name is Melody. It clicked in my head, like... She's home, she is music, she is the reason why I play. Because she raised me and she built me to become who I am.
back in Nevada, Mendoza began to flirt with the idea of joining the military, thinking his music career might be over. But when he applied, the military told him undocumented immigrants like him could only join if they knew more than one language. And since Mendoza only knew English, they would have to reject him. Mendoza let go of the idea of wearing a spotless military uniform and participating in big ceremonies of honor, and turned back to what he loved, playing the trombone. While back at home, he met with old friends, also college dropouts, and began to play music together. Eventually, they formed a band, and shortly after, they moved to Portland, Oregon. We came in with our tunes, and we, we were a solid group. We knew how to play together. People noticed that quickly, like, whoa, these three Las Vegas guys just showed up out of nowhere. We played these sessions, these shows. We started building them a name for not only our group, but also ourselves as individuals. The day after Trump got elected, I was called for this gig at PSU. And, you know, I was just very sad, very broken and just defeated, the most defeated. (laughs) And I was um, preparing myself to go to this gig and I didn't hear back from the person who set it up. the The gig got canceled. So at that time, again, because of what's happening with the Trump election, like, I, again, thought to myself, why am I here? Why am I a musician? I feel like I'm just getting beaten again. I thought that I had a chance with DACA, but now he's going to remove it. And here I am, ready to play a gig, and it gets canceled. And to me, that's just like, the universe is really saying, I should not do this anymore. But that wasn't the case. I saw on Facebook that there was this um, house show happening uh, for this woman, Haley Hendricks, and... I seen the name a few times on Facebook, and I, I didn't know who she was. And I walked to the house because I was in the area. I knock on the door, and Haley opens the door. And it's this Filipino woman. And I'm like, wait a second, you're Haley? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, you're Filipino? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm Filipino too. So it was this like immediate connection. Oh, wow, two Filipino musicians in the same room. That is like really rare. And we hit it off, and she saw that I had my trombone. And she she told me, she's like, hey, do you want to open up my set? And I asked her, I'm like, you understand, it's just solo trombone? And she's like, yeah. So I said, okay. And that was the moment where I agreed to do it, and I went up to the corner of the house, and again, feeling defeated as I was, I told everybody, hi, my name's Denzel Mendoza, I am undocumented. And that was the first time where I opened up to a, a group of people in public, in person. And I was, I was heated. I, I didn't know what to think. So I, I told everyone in the room there, and I said, I don't have anything planned to play, but I am going to play how I feel. 20 minutes later, some people were in tears. You know, people, like, really received it well. And I was asked to join Haley to play in her group after that. After the album got released, it just it picked up. It got some really great feed and great press, and we were booked this awesome extensive tour. We did um, South by Southwest and toured all throughout East Coast, from New York to Boston and Chicago. It was just a great time for, for all of us. And for me, it just made me realize, like, again, as an undocumented immigrant, I'm able to do this. I'm able to travel the country and pursue this career still. I'm not being stopped by anybody. I really embraced and took that identity of an undocumented immigrant when Trump got elected. 
after I came out as undocumented the day after, to see all those people in that room be affected and, and say, like, we support you, we're here for you, it clicked to me, like, wow, I'm not getting deported right now. No one's calling me in. I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm gonna tell everybody. I'm going to be open about this. I am going to be completely transparent about who I am in this country. As Mendoza began to publicly embrace his undocumented identity, his music career also started to take off. He kept touring and recording with Haley Hendrix until one day at a band practice, he saw he had a missed call on his phone. We take a break and I call this person back and it's Doug Davis, this uh, producer and music lawyer who lives in New York. He calls me up and he's like, hey, Denzel Mendoza, this is you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, please send me your stuff. So I send him, I don't have any personal recordings of myself, but I do have the live video session, the KEXP video of Haley Hendrix. So I send him that, and he calls me back, and he's just like, yes, you are the unicorn we need. When he says that, I, I'm like, well, I, I said thank you. I said, like, I, I felt really, like, proud of myself. Yeah, here I am. I am standing out, and I am an individual, and I am going to do this. Yeah, let me, let me do this. Let me get flown out to Miami, all expense paid, and record this. It made me realize about, like, growing up, I wanted to fit in and not stand out. But now I'm at this time where I feel comfortable to stand out because I'm proud of being undocumented. I told Doug, hey, I would love to do this. I, I want to do this so badly, but I'm leaving for tour in two days. And he said, oh, we need you now. We, you know, we have a documentary crew here, and everyone's here. We, we really need you. And I'm like, okay, maybe we can make this happen. He's like, I'll fly to Miami tonight. And I'm like, all right, I'll, let's see. Like, if I can make it to Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. after the recording session, I can do this. So I call my manager, um, who manages Haley. I tell him about the opportunity, and... It's like, yeah, of course. So I call him up again. I'm like, sign me up. I go straight to the University of Miami Frost School of Music. I go straight there and I open the door and it's just like, boom, lights and cameras, full production crew and big band in the background and three other dreamers getting interviewed. And I'm like, here I am with my travel bag and my trombone. <laughs> sweatpants, haven't brushed my teeth, I'm a mess. And here I am just doing this crazy, unbelievable opportunity with other dreamers from across the nation. It was an unbelievable opportunity to just be surrounded by the top-notch music industry and musicians. That whole entire experience was just insane. And then, of course, like months later, I get a call by one of the producers, Kenya Ati, and she's like, Denzel, how are you doing? I haven't heard from you in a long time. I've been trying to reach you. It seems like this phone's not working. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? How are you doing? I'm, I'm so happy we were able to do this. And she's like, you're going to the Grammys.
everybody who was anybody was there. We were sitting in the front row, and the first award, I believe, the first nomination that was announced was Best Arranger and Composer, and we were, we were up for the nomination, and we won. We got the first nomination, and we all stood up from our chairs and clapped and just yelled, and we're like, we're all dreamers. There were 10 of us, and... You know, we're we're yelling and shouting, and we're just all so stoked. And John Diversa, who's accepting the award, was like saying thank you. And then he, I also want to mention Denzel Mendoza. Is he here? Is he here? And points to me, and the cameras go towards me. And he talks about me on that stage, and he's like, he's an undocumented immigrant, and he is just a fantastic trombone. It's put me in the spotlight, and here I am. Like, I didn't know this was gonna happen, so I was recording the whole entire thing on my... There's a video of this on YouTube where the camera's on me, and I'm just, like, halfway standing up recording this entire situation. Yeah, it was it was our night. It was everybody's. Anything is possible. Anything that you are willing to give it all is possible. I realized that nothing is impossible if you put in all the work and effort and trust into your work and to the people around you, good things will come. Still unbelievable to me that I was able to to do any of that and to go through that. I had this life of excitement. Life for me still is exciting, but there was chaos within everything. Nothing was planned. The Grammy wasn't planned. The Tiny Desk concert wasn't planned. It all came out of nowhere. But right now, I've finally reached this point in life where I have stability. Stability was was missing from my life, for my entire life. And I think that was the one thing that I've been reaching towards, stability. And it's been a lot of work to do that, but I'm currently doing it. I'm doing it. Many Roads to Hear is a production of The Immigrant Story, a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon. This episode was written by myself, Caitlin Dwyer, and Monica Salazar. Our audio editing was done by Rick March. Original music was provided by Denzel Mendoza. The interview was conducted in winter 2020 by Angelica Alarcon. Our executive producer is the inimitable Sanka Raman. For more stories, please visit theimmigrantstory.org.